The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. What's up, Bengals fans? It is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast coming at you our usual Wednesday night deep dive show analysis talking about what happened last Sunday, what may be happening this Sunday, and a couple things in between. I am Anthony Cazenza, joined as always by the brains behind the show, John Sheeran. John, uh, rough one this week, buddy. This this was this was a tough one to handle. I know we'll talk about it, but uh, how you, how you hanging in there after this one? How the times have changed, man. You know, there was a time when the Bengals and Ravens were like maybe the best rivalry competitive-wise in the AFC North, and we're at a point where it smells a lot like 2019, specifically that game last year against the Steelers early in the season where I think it was the same score as the game we're about to break down. But yeah, we're we're hanging in there. I got a Sam Adams Oktoberfest. I think I think Ooh, it's the best. I'm I think jealous. it's the best Oktoberfest beer. I think me and my dad are on the same page with this, but it's been about like Three weeks since Oktoberfest in Cincinnati would have been, if not for obvious reasons. But we're we're, we're hanging in there in style. I, I like it. I'm I'm a little jealous. I haven't had one yet. I do like the uh, the Hofbrau. Their Oktoberfest beers are always pretty good. I know that always reminds me of Cincinnati, but that is that is a good one. The old the old Sam Adams one you got there, and uh, we'll we'll let you kick off here in just a second on some thoughts. I know I know you've got quite a bit. I've got a few about what happened, and and we're gonna go there. We're gonna get to a stat of the week, a soundbite of the week. We're going to break down the Colts game, and then we're going to get on out of here with some predictions and things like that. Just to remind all of you, if you're new to this program, join us every Wednesday night, uh, 8.30 Eastern is for the live recording, or get the show afterward on any number of platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Megaphone, uh, iHeartRadio, all of those. This show and all of our other episodes on the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel are available there. Yeah, you know, like... I- it kind of feels like I'm going to wing this because it's basically what the Bengals did on Sunday <laughs> against the Ravens. I mean, everybody knew that they were going to throw a ton of exotic blitzes at Burrow stuff that he'd never seen, even at LSU playing against SEC defenses. Like this is, this was a staple of Don Wink Martindale's um, scheme with the Ravens, a team that doesn't have one elite pass rusher, but they have a bunch of just good to very good pass rushers that all work in such unison and synchronization. It was no secret that this was going to be the game plan to stop and at least minimize what Burrow and this offense can do. But honestly, it, it brought me back to that Jets game last year. We're on the other side now. Like it looked like a, a team in the Bengals were playing against a college team, the Jets, and looked like a team in the Ravens were playing a college team in the Bengals this time. It was, and I know that after a game that's so tumultuous like this of this caliber, we always have to, the gas bags of, of us in our industry, we have to point fingers at one specific entity, fire Jim Turner. What is this offensive line doing? There's more nuance in catastrophes such as this. And it's kind of what I wanted to get into for the weekly lineman this week. It's what Steven Ruiz of For the Win, the USA Today football site, got into in his article, breaking down pass protection uh, faults and schematic problems with what's going on with this Bengals offense right now. The, the biggest problem going into the season was pass protection, the offense line issues. But it's also how is Burrow, a rookie quarterback, albeit a talented one, a mentally gifted one at, at that, 
but going up against pressures that he was never going to see before and going behind an offensive line that was obviously going to struggle. A lot of things went wrong in this game. It wasn't just the offensive line being bad. It wasn't just Burrow being actually rattled for the first time in his young professional career. It's a lot of stuff, and it's not easy for us to just point at one thing and say that was what was that was what went wrong. That's a great point. Great points. And by the way, yes, go check out. I think it's on For the Win from USA Today, the the article mm-hmm. that John referenced. That's, that is a, a really well-done article there. Um, and maybe we'll try and get the link in our live chats for, for those of you. You're, you're right, John. You know, you look at the seven sacks and you go, obviously, it's the offensive line. Well, PFF credited Joe Burrow with, I think, three of those, correct, um, based on his play. The offensive line had problems, but Look, there were play calls. I've said I said this. I think in our post game show, there were there were play calls and pass protection calls where Zach Taylor, Brian Callahan, Jim Turner, whoever, still had Drew Sample one on one on a defensive lineman in pass protection, and that is a complete mismatch. Obviously, that we saw it a couple weeks ago. That didn't work out well for the Bengals. It happened again on Sunday, and like you mentioned. The, the blitzes were coming from everywhere, and of those seven sacks, I want to say I think about four of them came from defensive backs and or linebackers, if not more. So to your point, John, it was just kind of a debacle from a lot of different areas. Right, and a lot of it came from either some play-action bootlegs or just play-action where he just happened to turn his head and not see the field and not see the rushes coming, or it came from empty set, and some of those in empty set, he motioned either Giovanni Bernard or, or Joe Mixon out of the backfield, or they didn't have him on the right side of the formation to either pass protect before releasing into the flat. There was one that specifically came to mind where Mixon was in the backfield and he was releasing out of the backfield into the flat as a, as a pass catcher. And he was going into like the a gap to maybe like chip a guy blitzing there. But it was, I think the Sean Elliott who was blitzing from the B gap and there was just nobody there. Like there were so many times where the Ravens only rushed three or four guys, but one guy came home free because the offensive line pre-snaps all guys who were down linemen or guys who were showing blitz, dropping back into coverage, and they're either double-teaming a guy who has no impact on the play, while uh, Safety and Elliott or Chuck Clark or, or uh, Tyus Bowser or Patrick Queen or whoever is coming in there hot, he's going in untouched. Like the, Ra- the Bengals often had a overall blocking advantage in the post-snap, but the, the way that the Ravens disguise these things and they, they design them in, in the pre-snap phase and confuse the Bengals offense lineman so deeply, it's a coaching issue because there, there are some things that could have been prepared for better. But again, this is like the, the prime defensive example of how you disguise these zone blitzes. It's a lot from what Pittsburgh did in, in their glory days in the late 90s and early 2000s under LeBeau. But Martindale is just taking that and going into the next level. What do you make of... I can't remember who it was on Twitter. I probably should have done a little heavier research on it. I want to say it was maybe Warren Sharp of Pro Football Network or somebody. On his Twitter account, he had a number of screen screenshots and video, little brief videos. I think you maybe did too, where there were a couple of Bengals linemen. There were a lot of Ravens defenders around and a couple of Bengals linemen, almost seeming like they were looking for things to do and almost looking to to get a guy. And, and they were often in plays where Burrow ended up getting sacked. I mean, is that just kind of playing into your point of just a a collection of a lot of errors from a lot of different places, or is that strictly an offensive line issue? I'm seeing offense is really bad. Fire Zach Taylor. Turner's not helping us. I'm seeing that in our live chat. I don't, I I don't know what to make of that when I see those kinds of screenshots. Well, the still image analysis is always a little shaky because there's a lot more context when you actually see the video. There was one example I remember where it was just the Bengals had like four offensive linemen not engaged with a guy because there's only two Ravens in, in front of them, but it was the edge. It was the rushers from behind and Patrick Queen and I think a safety that were rushing off of the edge and they got past Giovanni Bernard and Drew Sample who were in there for max protection. So the Bengals had seven blockers, three receivers downfield. The Ravens only rushed four and they got home because Burrow extended the play out of the pocket, forgetting that he had Queen coming racing from behind him and lighting him, him up and Burrow did the one thing that he couldn't do in a sack and that's put the ball on the ground. And that was one of the game. I think that was his second turnover of the day. So there was that example where you're like, okay, what is the offense line doing? Well, like they did their job initially. The, the Ravens schemed a, a, a pass rush there that took Drew Sample to the opposite side of the formation. And Sample and Bernard did their job. They got those guys out of the pocket. At that point, it's up to Burrow to not only do something with the play, but be smart and not put the ball on the ground and, and put it into precarious situations. He rolled out to his left on that play. And I think Tyler Boyd was the only other receiver on that side of the field where he could throw to. So he didn't really help himself out, but he also made the one mistake of forgetting where these guys are going. And that kind of leads into this next point where it was like 17 passes into the game. 
Bobby Hart, the right tackle, played about as well as you could expect him to play against the Ravens defense. He was doing really well in pass protection. His first bad rep, it came when the, the Bengals were again in an empty set. And, and Joe Burrow had Drew Sample on the corner route where he could easily get that ball out, but Park got beat at the last second, like two and a half seconds into the rep. Burrow sensed the pressure, and for the first time all season, he dropped his eyes. He shuffled his feet. He looked like Andy Dalton in the pocket, and he had to scramble out there for two yards. That was the first time that we saw Burrow actually rattled in the face of pressure. He's gotten hit and sacked in basically every single game that he's played, but this one, it just felt different. That play, John, and there was a play that I, I think I pointed out on my Twitter account or I, I rehashed somebody that, that brought it up, that the throw to Mixon, uh, where he scrambled out, Mixon's kind of going, and there, there are a lot of different explanations for this. One is maybe Burrow thought Mixon was doing something else on the route that he wasn't. Uh, I looked at it again. There was a, there was Mixon was wide open, but mm-hmm. there was a defender in between Burrow and Mixon. Maybe that defender kind of blocked the angle a bit more than we think from that camera angle by Burrow. But to your point, John, about getting a little worried about picking up bad habits because of the pressure, that's a play that Joe Burrow makes all the time the breakaway from the pressure and you float one up to a guy that happens to break free from coverage and it ends up being a big play when it should have been a negative play. He totally misfired on the ball to, to mix in. And again, there are a couple of explanations for that, but to me, I, I saw that that was a throw much like the play you're talking about that. I started to get worried about a rookie picking up bad habits simply because of poor protection. Right. And I know people are like, well, of course it's going to happen at some point if you keep getting hit and getting rattled, and that was what happened to David Carr. It's too early. It's only week five to assume that this is the path that he's going to take for the entire season, but it's up to us to fairly examine and evaluate what the current situation is at hand, and that's Bur- Burrow got punched in the mouth, and he did not respond very well. And that's not like he could because the, at, the, at the end of the day, the Bengals either put him in empty empty sets and in very untimely situations or they max protected and they couldn't separate downfield with only three receivers. It was a lose lose situation. And that by the end of like, you know, the second, by the end of the third quarter and into the, into the second half, it just looked very obvious that it was an offense that was purely run on not getting their quarterback hit anymore. They were waving the white flag without actually taking burrow out of the game. And at that point it was just all that they could do because they couldn't muster up any offensive success throughout the entire game. Again, it looked like they were completely outmatched. It didn't look like there were two NFL teams on the field when the Bengals were on offense. And that was the only thing that they could do. Now, is it going to continue and persist throughout the entire year? I don't know. They still have two games against the Steelers to play, and that could be even worse situations because they have an even better defensive line and defensive scheme overall. But it's games like this where, you know, the competition got raised. It was not the Jacksonville Jaguars again. He wasn't going to have as easy of a time against a team that knows how to rest the passer and confuse the passer with these blitzes. So it is a it is a factor of strength of schedule. But also at the, at the same time, this is still a quarterback that I think has enough mental fortitude to not have these things kind of linger and carry over into future weeks. Yeah, I know we want to talk about, obviously, the A.J. Green stuff and the the defense, but, but just – what kind of what to your to your saying here, John? I mean, that was my problem with this loss. I think you and I on this show Wednesday, and then when we did the pregame show on Sunday with Matt, I think all of us were kind of expecting, you know what? Probably not going to be a win, but let's we're going to see some progressions, and we're going to see some a, a team that is making strides to quote unquote getting there, right on their way to being pretty good, even with some of the roster holes that are pretty obvious. That was my main problem with this game, John, is it just, it was never close. They never did anything on offense. And like you said, the disparity of talent was so obvious. It it, it was pretty painful. And my takeaway was not only just, hey, you know, the Bengals just aren't really there yet. They they may need an offseason, maybe even two to really fix this thing. But also just a reminder of how the organizations are run. Right. I mean, what they do, how they build their rosters and all of that. And that was just kind of a painful reminder for me. It, it truly is. And now in the last two games combined, the Ravens have outscored the Bengals 76 to 16. I believe. Yikes. So it, it's just where they are. But at the same time, we have to credit the defense where credit is due because this defense against an offense that is usually explosive and attacks teams in, in vertical ways that only a few other teams can do. They shut them down for most of the game. Now I know they gave up a couple early touchdowns, but th- those were drives that were that already started in, in 
in Bengals territory and the off- Ravens offense didn't have to do much. And our stat of the day is going to come on the def- defensive side of the ball, but we have to give credit for the adjustments that Lou Anarumo made Going off of what week nine or week 10 was last year when they gave up 49 points to this performance, they didn't do a lot of things differently. They still had this same 4-3 type defense where they were playing quarters coverage in the back end and they were playing seven-man boxes to counter this rushing offense, but it was executed to perfection. And Ted Nguyen, if you guys have an athletic subscription, he put out a fantastic film piece about what they did. And so did Matt Minnick for Cincy Jungle. His film review was about the, the, the defensive efforts in stopping this running game. And like they, the Ravens had, I think, 160 something rushing yards, but 70 of them came off of a Devin Duvernay reverse and a Jake and Dobbins, his one run of the game. So most of the time with Gus Edwards, Mark Ingram, they were they were minimized to their best. And Lamar Jackson only ran the ball two times. Now, who knows if that's because he wasn't 100 percent because of his knee. But Logan Wilson, the King Davis Gaither, they played they. I think Davis Gaither started in this game. He he stepped up with the role that he was given. Josh Bynes played a lot, played very well. DJ Reader before he got hurt played really well. Geno Atkins only had a limited amount of snaps, but he looked back into his regular form. And Carl Lawson in his in his first real start with a healthy Carlos Dunlap on the team, he played really well. So they had a game plan to stop and mi- at least minimize this this offense and give their offense a chance. And they got the job done. We have to give them credit for that. If you were to tell me that the Cincinnati Bengals defense was going to let up 20 points and hold Lamar Jackson to 183 total yards. Yeah, two touchdowns, but 183 total yards. They picked him off. I would have been like, that's a that's a Bengals win. That That is a – that is a on Baltimore's home field, mm-hmm. I would say that that is a Bengals win hands down. And I say – I mean, obviously people are going, well, there's 27 points. Well, one was a fumble recovery for a touchdown by the Ravens defense. So that's not on the de- – that's not on the Bengals defense – so, you know, I, I, I tip my cap to them. There were, John, I hate to be the nitpick guy, there were a couple of big interception opportunities that the Bengals had their hands on. Davis Gaither had one. Uh, Logan Wilson had another. And there was even one really Darius Phillips kind of jumped on a uh, at a ball that it would have been a difficult interception, but that's a pick six there. So somehow the Bengals need to start corralling more of those turnover opportunities. But, hey, even when Logan Wilson gave him that ball, the offense did nothing. And that has been a theme of the year. Bengals get a turnover. Offense does nothing with it. Yeah, it's like a combination of these dropped interceptions are still plaguing it. But at the same time, they have a rookie linebacker with two interceptions. And that, that's something that I don't think any of us ever expected <laughs> yeah. to, to even utter. Jesse Bates continued to play great. He was locked down on Mark Andrews on those passes over the, over the middle. Deshaun Sims even played really well. This was his second start. In for Darius Phillips, who's now in the slot and also on Wednesday's injury report, and we'll get to that shortly. But Phillips played well, not just in coverage, but as a blitzer in terms of containing Lamar when he got out of the pocket. He had a couple of pressures, almost a couple of sacks, and unfortunately, Jackson is very hard to sack. He's very elusive when he's out there. So, um, you know, credit to Jackson for for doing what he normally does. But Phillips and Wilson got in there on, on some outside pressures and cost, and cost, you know, limited some big plays. And that's, I think, at the end of the day, when you're going up against that offense, that's all you can hope for. But like you said, the offense just couldn't do anything with it. Inevitably, there's a question about fool's gold here. Uh, Lamar Jackson was dealing with a minor knee injury. He also had an illness in the week. And then, of course, uh, I had heard from some Ravens fans, I guess. I think it was actually from Justin of Engraven Vids that maybe mentioned it to his fan base that I guess Lamar Jackson unfortunately lost a friend suddenly uh, the night before or the day before this game. Uh, I, I don't know details on that and if that has been corroborated, but that was a, a rumor I heard floating out there. But I guess, you know, do you, do you attribute that to the scheme? John, John Harbaugh mentioned something to, about it after uh, the game in terms of the Bengals defensive scheme. Do you attribute it to that? Do you attribute it to a down day for Lamar Jackson because of these issues or a little bit of both? Yeah, I think Lamar is definitely capable of playing better despite the schematic adjustments that the Bengals made. I did not know about the, those person that personal issue. And I feel feel great um, sorrow and, and sympathy for him if that's the case. But you right. know, yeah, he was he did miss a couple of practices. But at the, I think they all assumed that he would be good enough to play. And when he's out there, he's still like one of the most athletic people on the field, even if he's not 100. percent So I, I think part of the reason why he didn't rush the ball is because the Bengals just weren't giving him a, a lot of opportunities to keep it because they were just playing such great contain. You know, it was the spill ever spill technique with those linebackers and they were always in the right spots. So credit, credit to them, credit to Inarumo for getting them ready to play because the other side of the ball didn't do so well. Yep. Three yards rushing. 
Uh, 180 passing, three yards rushing. I mean, if you, that's the way you beat Lamar Jackson and the Ravens at this point. And the Bengals were unable to do anything offensively. I guess speaking of the offense, John, I guess we got to go here. AJ Green, the infamous video. Uh, I, I don't like to necessarily speculate and I don't read lips, but it definitely looks like a trade me type of phrase or something very close to that was uttered by AJ Green out of frustration. I guess he left the game with a hamstring injury. He rested on Wednesday because of that. They think he's going to be able to practice at the end of the week here, but truth of the matter is he is not, uh, he's not producing. And I want to get your quick take on that. And then I've got another question for you in terms of a bigger, bigger issue, but what, what do you think about that and what you saw Sunday? From that situation every time read lips twitter takes center stage i'm always reminded of how terrible i am at it like i i can watch that video a thousand times and have no idea what he's saying but like just looking just like the the visual of it all he was clearly frustrated he was clearly talking about something personal with the coach i forget i forget the name of the coach i think jay morrison of the athletic mentioned his name but for, i mean regardless I, i'm not terribly surprised by it like it, it, it's just the way that things are going right now he is playing on a franchise tag. His future is extremely uncertain. And to make matters worse, he's just not playing well. And I think he realizes that to the point as part of the frustration. The other part is that he's just not connecting with this quarterback that they brought in after they got rid of the quarterback that he played his first eight, nine years with. And now the quarterback may be an upgrade, but at this point, he's still undergoing growing pains. And when AJ Green's trying to make a lot of money and he's not producing, like all these things kind of boil up. So um, our, our good friend, our good friend, Daddy McDuke, he wrote an article on Cincy Jungle defending Green's position in this case because this is not the first time that Green has had frustration with the organization in general. We can, we can go back to 2016 when he was uh, on the verge of, of having like a thousand yards in his sixth straight season and the Bengals decided to not play him because of a minor injury. He was so upset and distraught that he went home from Houston and to celebrate Christmas with his newborn son. But also that was just something that was, we were not accustomed to seeing from AJ. And we always talked about him being, you know, a classy guy, a, a team first guy, a guy that fans can always rally to. But when he has these personal ambitions and these personal uh, tr troubles with, with, with what's going on with management, we immediately turn against him and we say, why is he not doing this? He has no value anymore. Trade his, trade his butt, like all this type of stuff. So there's a lot more nuance with, with these situations. And, but at a certain point, you know, when you're paying a guy 18 million and he's not producing, there these questions will arise. Again, do you go do you go back to play calling? Because a lot of people are, are green in his time with the Bengals. He was a stretch the field guy. He was kind of a do everything guy. He would catch the short passes and and move the sticks. He would go deep and be able to hit that. And really, none of it's really working and they're and because of the protection issues they're not able to do the deep drops and and throw the ball deep i mean is it a play calling issue i i, I just kind of struggle. and then and then on the video too john you see him I, I don't know what he's doing on the interception return is he just trying to get out of way of contact or is he trying to create an angle there i i, I don't i don't really understand that but i i don't know i, I i'm just kind of at a loss with it um what do you think no, he clearly feels like he's being phased out of the offense. Like it's it's so obvious that the, the the two number one and number two receivers on this team are Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins, and it's not an, an indictment on Green's talent. It's just those are the guys that are connecting with Burrow more often. Those are the guys that Burrow feels more comfortable targeting, looking to downfield. Like at this point, it seems like the the targets toward Green are just predicated and manufactured based off the play calling and not his personal preference. Like he's still technically the number one guy on the depth chart, and he plays the X and he plays the X role, but it's Higgins and Boyd. Running the show right now and it's so easy for green to be phased out of this offense entirely if not for that cap number attached to his name so i think again all these factors are culminating into this process right now but this is the Bengals, and, we, and they don't trade their big players while, while they still have control over them yep so here's a thought that came to my mind i think it was monday i started thinking about this so far in the last few weeks and twice in this last week alone some pretty major players for the Cincinnati Bengals have come out because of coaching decisions and have shown some dis discontent. So whether that is AJ Green potentially saying what he's saying about trade me and being frustrated with things, Carlos Dunlap's demotion and his public talking about how the Bengals handled it or didn't handle it the right way. And you go back a couple of weeks, John, you, you go to Auden Tate 
and his agent coming out saying, well, we can explore a trade if they're not going to use him. You've got John Ross inactive the past few weeks. He hasn't publicly come out and, and complained, but there may be some feelings there on his end in his camp. I just had a little bit of a worry about a quote unquote, losing the locker room from Zach Taylor with some of these examples and some of these instances. I think there are a lot of young players, especially his guys, the Mike Thomases, the Joe Burrows and all of that, that believe in what Zach Taylor is doing. But I have a little bit of worries with some of these examples that have come out and you can, comp- you compound that with a three nineteen and one record so far as a head coach. Yeah, the winning culture can be built so long as it actually works. Now that's the whole point of last year. You you go two and fourteen. How much can you rally those players behind you? And that was, I think, part of like the whole exodus of of Marvin players. Then and for Zach Taylor to bring in his guys in his second true offseason. Like this offseason was the first time it seemed like the Bengals were taking team building in an aggressive and serious manner. And I think that resonated with the players very well in the offseason. Like, hey, we're actually doing things to progress this team a lot faster than just draft and develop. When you establish that precedent now, now it has to continue. It, it can't go back into roll into complacency. So when these issues start rising again, they expect, I think, progressive action once more. And I don't know if that, if that comes with aggressive changes in the play calling and the personnel or even in the coaching staff if, if guys are getting that fed up. But like it needs to be a continuation of this. It needs to go. It, it can't just be a one-off season type thing. So we're going to learn a lot about how committed Taylor is to this culture and to this overall organizational shift over the next coming months to see if he's actually about it or if he just had that one opportunity to do so and now things kind of go back to the status quo. Well, there is, I mean, if if A.J. Green, apparently in the press conference this week, Zach has kind of said, hey, it's been positive with A.J. Green this week when asked about this video clip that we've seen about potential trades and all that kind of stuff with A.J. Green but I mean, there, there, I guess, is a an, an opportunity for Zach Taylor to make a statement of some kind there, whether whether or not AJ Green is dealt, and for what if he is, for what what you yield back. So there is a little bit of of something there. But John, just not a great week of Bengals football all around. Some drama, a big loss to a divisional opponent, and then of course, just to tie a bow on this before we get to the soundbite of the week and stat of the week. The soundbite of the week, by the way, plays into a little bit of what we're talking about with Zach Taylor in the locker room. But um, you you touched on a little bit. Bengals lose DJ Reader for the year. And now, John, you have Trey Waynes on IR. You have DJ Reader on IR. You have Xavier Suofilo on IR. And who am I missing? There's uh, one more. Mike, free Daniels, Mike Daniels for now? Yeah, Mike Daniels. That was the other one. But you've got all four. Uh, on some form of the IR, I know it's it can be a shorter term stint on IR this year than than others. But when you have seven big name outside free agents and four of them are currently on IR, that's not how you draw it up. Not at all. <laughs> how how big of a loss do you think DJ Reader is going to be? Just quickly before we move on. Um. Well, I mean, I don't know what the the defensive tackles did this offseason do they i don't know if they practice on like some uh, native american burial ground or something but this is like yeah the sixth seventh guy that they've lost so i i again i i go back to the to the covington trade i think that was one of their more under underrated best moves of the offseason to trade a guy in austin kalitra the linebacker that they were already going to cut for a guy that would make most rosters in covington he's playing pretty well for who he is right now i think he was a guy that was very comparable to, to, to what tupo could do for them and he's had to play a lot of snaps because they're because of the injuries to Daniels and Atkins early on the season. Now he's just entrenched in the starting role with DJ Reader out. And uh, you know Paul Dinger Jr. wrote for the Athletic like this is the time for Geno Atkins to step up because if you have a Pro Bowl defensive tackle that's going to go to the Hall of Fame one day, and you have all these other injuries that defensive tackle, when you have basically zero depth, is up to that guy to make basically take the reins and do the and just do the job. Like I know that they wanted to you know, rotate him more and more, but that's just not going to happen now. Unless Daniels comes back and doesn't get hurt for the rest of the year, they they just are shorthanded at that position and they just kind of got to roll with it. But Covington playing well, definitely eases that. I, I'm not sure. Like, like I guess it's fr- freedom. I can Malodum and Amani Bledsoe as their depth right now. Defense tackle. So it's just not a lot of opportunities for either of those guys to get rotated out, but luckily Covington's playing pretty well, but he's just not DJ reader. It's just a real shame that the Bengals never had the opportunity, the defense never had the opportunity to truly utilize this little rotation they built between Reader, Daniels, and Atkins. Atkins being out, 
Reader and, and Atkins only played a handful of snaps this entire season and will only play a handful of snaps together this entire season. And that was supposed to be like kind of the linchpin of their defense. So it's just a shame that that never materialized and hopefully it will next year and two good results. But I do agree. I like what I've seen from Covington. They've moved uh, Khalid Kareem around a little bit to, to do some different things. And um, the depth is, is hurt. Now they brought in Xavier Williams, kind of a journeyman guy. I don't, I don't expect a ton from him, John, but um, maybe, maybe just some depth and, and at, at minimum a little bit of spells for some of these guys, especially like a guy, like a guy like Geno Atkins, it needs some of that, especially as he's easing back into the rotation. Yeah. I mean, uh, they're, they're going to count Andrew Brown too, who's been in and out of, of the active, of the active uh, 48 or 47 here, whoever they have dressing. So he's got, he's in a position where he's just dressing every week now. And, you know, they like to state that Xavier Williams has been with the chiefs and the Patriots for the past two years. So he brings that winning mentality or whatever they try to advertise. But at the end of the day, he's a body and they need as many of those as possible. Yep. Support for this show comes from Sylvan learning as a parent. You want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge That takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. He's John Sharon. I'm Anthony Cazenza. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast talking about what happened with the Cincinnati Bengals in week five against the Baltimore Ravens and a lot more. Happy to have you with us. Join us every live recording. Subscribe to our channels, whether it's the YouTube channel right under John's left shoulder there, there's an icon. Click that and get all of our YouTube content as it arrives or go to your favorite audio podcast streamer and get the audio versions of our show orange is the new black and matt minnick's chalk talk and you can get all those episodes right when they come out do us a favor too go go on itunes and leave us a review if you like what we're doing if you like what ace and zim are doing if you like what matt's doing uh go ahead and leave us a, a review we like we, we'd like to hear from you especially if it's a positive one we like the positive reviews so if you got one of those for us please let us know but thanks for tuning in live thanks for supporting the program. John, I was going to say soundbite of the week here, but since we've been talking defense, I think you have a defensive stat of the week for us. Do you not? Yeah. So do you mind if I put you on the spot first then? I I, I love being on the spot. You know, <laughs> Ravens ran 25 plays to begin uh, the game and they had their first two touchdowns within those 25 plays. Now the touchdowns were from five yards out and two yards out. So at the end of the day, they were going to score doesn't really impact much from an expected points added perspective. So the first 24, 25 plays, they averaged about 0.4 expected points per play, which is pretty good for an offense. You know, they scored 17 points in the like the first quarter, basically. After that, they ran 41 plays, averaged negative 0.27 expected points. Like there was, they went on six consecutive drives where they, they didn't score at all. And that's what the best kicker in the league and the reigning MVP. So like, I, it, it's easy to to get, get to lose this defensive performance with how bad the offense played, but it was just the same thing over and over again. The defense would give the ball right back to the offense. The offense would give her, give the ball right back to the Ravens. Yeah. But yeah. this defense played fantastic. 
after that second drive. And I think everybody needs to appreciate that and go watch the, those articles that were posted about it. Yeah, good call. And especially with some of the names we mentioned in and out of the lineup uh, throughout not only this game, but leading up to this game. So good call and an overall good defensive effort. It would have been probably a dominant one had the Bengals been able to to corral another interception or two that were kind of in their bread baskets at times. So, But overall, William Jackson's playing well, John. Jesse Bates is playing out of his mind. Um, you know, those young linebackers are, are proving to be active and athletic and making some plays. So, and I, and I expect those guys to improve too, as the year wears on even more so than what they've shown in just a few games. So, um, I was, I was pretty pleased. I was pretty yeah. pleased. No, for, I mean, for sure. Like the, the secondary did literally all that, all that they could, and they played about as well as you could expect them. It's by far the best unit on this team right now. And kudos to Inaruma, who's a secondary coach, being defense coordinator in the second year. He's utilizing the guys that he's trusting in, and he's going to get Jesse Bates a very a hefty contract in 2021. So that's the stat of the week, courtesy of John Sheeran, and a good one pointing to some positivity on the Bengals' side. I've got a soundbite of the week. This is from Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow. Give me a second. I will put this on. This is a video from Bengals.com. He is talking with the media and talking about the mindset, kind of hearkening back to what we were talking about in our first segment, talking about the mindset of the guys after the loss. It was kind of a devastating loss, but uh, Joe Burrow and the gang don't seem to be discouraged. So I'm going to share this and play it for you all. How much can you and how much did you learn when you popped on that film from Sunday against Baltimore? No, I learn a lot every week from the film. I'm not going to give you guys any specifics, but um, there's a lot to learn every single week. And, you know, that was a big learning experience for me, for us as a team and as an organization. Um, you know, the mindset that we had after the game, I thought was positive. You know, nobody was panicking. Obviously, we were frustrated with our play, but there was nobody hanging their heads or throwing in the towel. We were ready to get back to work. So, John, surprised at that, is that just quarterback speak? Is that a rookie quarterback kind of parroting his head coach who also said we're not hitting the panic button this week? Um, or, you know, I, just side note, I think it's really funny how he's playing it so close close to the vest in terms of I'm not going to tell you what, what I see in the film. And then, you know, he's also – you can't see his facial expression as well because he's got the mask on, so he's totally playing it coy. Um, but you know, I, I, your, your thoughts on that quote and kind of the mindset, do you believe him? I mean, I, I don't know him to be a liar, so of course I'm inclined to believe him, but is that a little bit of player speak as well? I think if you listen to enough players and coaches over time, you get the sense that they don't value strength of schedule unless it doesn't go into their favor. So they played the Eagles and the Jaguars for back-to-back weeks and, that man that we just heard, he had two pretty good games against those two defenses that are struggling and couldn't do much in terms of rattling him. Then he goes against the Ravens and think, you know what? It's a tough defense. We'll learn from it and we'll move on. You know, we had success in the prior weeks, even though those issues that were definitely prevalent in those weeks didn't affect him as much when going up against an actual contending team. So at the end of the day, like this is just that that is the player's mindset. That is the coach's mindset. You know, we do our things. We prepare the way that we prepare and we should go out and win. But if we don't, it's usually just a case of us just not executing or the other team being better. Right. <laughs> right. I, I'm inclined to believe and uh, I know you've got many thoughts, statistics and whatnot of this upcoming matchup against the Colts here. But I am inclined to believe not only just because of the quote and, and that soundbite of the week. I'm inclined to believe that Joe Burrow and the offense will play a lot better, even though they are playing another quality opponent this week in Indianapolis. I'm, I'm inclined to believe they will be playing better on that side of the ball, not only because maybe a little bit of a renewed focus, but I don't, I don't see Joe Burrow put stringing together poor game after poor game. Do you? Well, I, the pressure's on him tremendously because I mean, we, we can kind of talk about the other quarterback who's lighting the NFL on fire right now. There's a lot of eyes on like, you know, when, when is he going to have that moment? But like, <laughs> I thought it was hilarious when um, Jeff, Jeff Hobson interviewed Zach Taylor in his weekly thing. And it was like, you know, are you, are you worried that this, that this tape that's now out there, it's going to be a blueprint for other defenses to use against you guys. And Taylor's like, I hope so, because now we'll be more prepared to do it. Like, no, I, if the Colts go out with the same game plan, I don't expect better results. And, right. and the Colts, 
have the best pass defense from a DVOA from football outsiders perspective. Like they know how to, they know how to limit quarterbacks. Now that could be a strength of schedule issue because they haven't really played anybody. And if you watch, if, if you guys watched that Browns game from last week, like Baker Mayfield looked like a completely different quarterback from the first half and the second half, the second half, they actually got to him, made the game a little bit close, but ultimately couldn't close it out because their own quarterback and Phillip rivers ended up being what Phillip rivers usually is. And that's just not clutch at the end of the game. So the Colts have a definitely a talented defense with not a lot of stars, but just a lot of guys, again, playing just well together and a great uh, defense coordinator and, and Eber Lewis, I think is his name, who is just one of the more underrated. Yeah. One of the more underrated defensive play callers in the NFL. So that blueprint is out there. And if it's used against them again, they don't have the personnel and the coaching to match it. So I hope that they, that, that, that doesn't happen. But even if the Colts do something of their own, they still have enough talent to you know limit Burrow once again. So, so it's kind of a little bit of a, a surprise. There, there are a couple of surprising facets about the Indianapolis Colts now that we've transitioned into week six and previewing that. Uh I didn't expect their defense to be as good as it is. And you mentioned the DVOA metrics that prove that they are a very effective unit. Um, Darius Leonard is is having a, a pretty good season. He's got, uh, you know, 27 tackles this year. I saw, you know, they're, they're just playing well as a unit. You know, I, I don't know that there's – gone are the stars of Freeney and Mathis and those guys that, you know, put up the gaudy stats. It's really just kind of a cohesive unit that does a lot of things – well across the board and that surprised me going into this week and then you mentioned him as well Philip Rivers you know you kind of figure probably a Hall of Fame quarterback and a guy that's put up a ton of numbers a lot of wins in the league and all of that he's not played very well this year he has not played very well this year he's got four touchdowns three interceptions um you know they, they lost week one to Jacksonville the only team that the Bengals have beat to this point they lost last week. Rivers didn't play well down the stretch in that game. So I, kind of a mixed bag and, and almost reversed expectations in terms of how each side of the ball is performing. Yeah, and before either of us gets roasted by someone, they do have DeForest Bunker who's playing. Well, yeah. Fine. Yeah, so they, they at least have one star, which I, I should have mentioned earlier. But yeah, that like that secondary... Like they don't, they don't have Malik Hooker right now. He's hurt, unfortunately. They have they have a reclamation project in Xavier Rhodes, who's playing really well at cornerback. They have Julian off. Blackman. Yeah. yeah, they have Julian Blackman, who's unfortunately injured right now, but he's playing well in run defense. Like again, it's just a well coached team, and that's going to be a problem for the Bengals, who have proven that they just don't have very good coaching right now, and they need to rely on the talent that, that they're developing. But you're right. If the Bengals have a chance in this game, it's because. Philip Rivers doesn't really scare anybody. And, and if the Bengals defense continues their performance from last week, I think they have a good chance of, of doing that as well. Like Jonathan Taylor is a good running back. And that offensive line for the Colts is much better than any offensive line that the Bengals have played this entire year. Like e- even that Browns offensive line, it's, it's very similar in the fact that they have the Colts have three great interior blockers. Quid Nelson's the best guard in the game. Ryan Kelly, um, Cincinnati local Westchester guy. He's at center. He's the highest paid center in the league. Mark Glowinski at right, right guard is playing pretty well too. Uh, if they get Anthony Costanzo back, who's missed, who missed last game and they had to have uh LaRaven Clark at left tackle, the offense line becomes even better. So the, the opportunities for guys like Carl Lawson and Khalid Kareem now, who has to play a bigger role of Sam Hubbard out their their opportunities get a little bit um, minimized from a passer's new perspective. And if Rivers does nothing else, he gets the ball pretty quickly. And he's more and more times than not accurate on those short throws. So it's it's going to be a lot of collapsing down onto the ball and then collapsing from your zones. And that's that's the way that you keep this game competitive because, unfortunately, this is an, another defense that does a good job of just limiting what offenses do best. Before we kind of get to the update on what's going on with injuries and what's going on with the report as of midweek, in our in our pregame or our pre-show notes, rather, John, you mentioned a possible quarterback crisis for Indianapolis. There have been a couple of calls, maybe, kind of to what I said a little bit earlier about a real up and down year from Philip Rivers. There's been a couple of calls, maybe, to move to Jacoby Brissett. I don't know how realistic that is, but I, I mean, do you do you think Rivers lasts the whole year? Is this one of those patented get right? with the Cincinnati Bengals for the Indianapolis Colts game. Is Philip Rivers going to get right playing the Cincinnati Bengals this week? I hope not. But uh, I don't know. What do you make of that? That I, I, I find it hard to believe they would bench Rivers, but I guess stranger things have happened. Well, they're paying him a lot. Like, I think $25 million a year to to be, like, the guy over Brissett, to be the answer to win in the short term right now. But over the past two weeks, he's 
by far have been the worst quarterback in the league. He's got like a 43.8 grade for pro football focus. No one who's played at least 50 snaps in that time has lower than a 58. And that's Matt Ryan in sec- at, at the second to worst spot. So he's not playing well and he's putting that team in, in bad situations. So it's po- very possible that they're just the lesser of the five or six, three and two teams out there right now. And he's like the biggest weakness. And that was the whole point. Like if they just have a quarterback, then they can just cakewalk in, into the weak AFC South and get into the playoffs. But if they continue to have inconsistent quarterback play at a certain point, you have to think maybe we have to go to Brissett because at, Again, this is just a win now period for them. They they mortgaged their immediate future to get a veteran to just be to just be a stable option to get them into into a position to advance in the playoffs. But he's just not doing it right now. So will he bounce back? I don't know. I I think the receivers are, are decent enough, but even if they don't have your guy Michael Pittman out there right now. But again, with that offensive line to limit the, the Bengals' pass rush and just have him buy enough time to not make those mistakes, yeah, this could be a bounce back game. But I want to see it first. Interesting little quote from our buddy, the Bengal here. I heard that Haskins was on the trade block and I could see them trading for him. I will see, uh, you know, Colts are, I don't, they're not committed to Brissett obviously because they grabbed Phillip rivers and Phillip rivers probably doesn't have a lot of years of football left. So, and especially based on what we've seen this year. So uh, it's possible, but uh, probably Dwayne Haskins probably needs a change of scenery regardless. He, uh, that, doesn't seem to be working out well for anybody over there. Let's look at the injury report as of Wednesday. Again, this is if you're depending on when you're listening to this show, this is definitely prone to changing, but uh, you've got the veteran rest days for Atkins and Dunlap. You have a shoulder injury that caused Darius Phillips to not practice. That is not good. Sam Hubbard left last week with an elbow injury. Don't know exactly how severe that is. I don't know if there was like a dislocation there or a, you know, a bad, you know, bone bruise or something there. He is not practicing and probably will not play this week. Auden Tate, a shoulder injury did not practice. And then you've got limited practice from Mackenzie Alexander. That is a good sign. He sat out last week. Giovanni Bernard, a groin injury, limited practice. I'm sure he will probably be good to go. And then we talked about A.J. Green with that hamstring injury, limited practice on Wednesday. They think he's going to be a bit more full go as the week goes on. But uh, some big names on that list, John. Yeah, um, I I think the the table was – Interesting because Ben Baby, a good friend of the show, he said that he was participating in special teams drills, so he wasn't technically out for the entire practice. He should have been probably listed as limited, but mm-hmm. if if he and Green can't go or not at 100%, this may be the game that we see John Ross back out there. You know, It was 2018, the first game of that season where he caught a touchdown, and it was, it was the first of seven for Ross that season, but he's been inactive for the past three weeks. He was listed last week with like an illness, but who who even knows that that was legitimate? Maybe they just wanted to label him with something ambiguous to say that he's not a healthy scratch this week. But yeah, yeah. yeah. But like if, if they can't have Tate and Green or if both those guys aren't 100 percent then what else do you have to do? You have to lose like you have no verticality in this offense right now. You're basically back to square one where you have been for the past few years when Ross hasn't been on the field. You don't have a lot of speed. And the only other guy that was that was kind of uh, that was relatively as, as fast as him on the field was AJ Green, and he's not healthy. And he and even when he is has been out there, he doesn't look like he has that that second gear and that verticality to his game anymore. So, like at this point, what else do you have to lose? Like at, le- at least try it out until it somewhat works. Yeah, that's a good point. I want to touch on that when we go to kind of some predictions and keys to the game here in just a minute. Uh, you mentioned a couple of these names here: Julian Blackman. Uh, Trey Burton, uh, not injury related. Justin Houston, Houston did not practice. Darius Leonard did not practice. Um, I'm inclined to think that most of those will probably still practice. Um, you know, especially the maybe the Trey Burton one, the not injury related, just some rest. But you mentioned Costanza. By the way, I always crack up every time I see that guy's name. It's so close to mine. It's hilarious. <laughs> uh, he, he was limited this week, and then you've got Jordan Wilkins, the running back, uh, limited practice. So any thoughts on what you're seeing there? I mean, I know you've touched on it a little bit, but Justin Houston not practicing could be a a blessing of some yeah. sort. Yeah, saying like Houston's right now, I mean, he's their second best edge rusher. He's like 30-something years old. So it's right now Buckner and a bunch of other guys who are still kind of getting home, but it's just not a great – 
you need to rush the passer. So maybe the Bengals have a slight break in terms of in, in handling pass protection duties. Darius Leonard, you know, he was a legitimate rookie of the year candidate a couple years ago. He's just he's a very solid linebacker and he had he didn't play last week and he might not play this week. Um Costanza is the big one though, because if he doesn't go, that that leaves a, a weakness on that offensive line. The Raven Clark started at left tackle for the Colts last week against the Browns, and he was by far the worst player. And that was uh, a, a, an advantage for the Browns because they had like Miles Garrett and, and other guys going up against him. So that's an opportunity for Carl Lawson to kind of to kind of roll with at, at right defensive end if Costanzo can't play, but he was limited today, so he looks like he's on the way back. So let's talk about some keys to this game and what the Bengals need to do to potentially, I don't know, sneak sneak out with a win, a bounce bounce back, a at least a respectable showing against a you know a team that's thought of as pretty good in the Indianapolis Colts. I want to I want to start with what you mentioned about the John Ross thing because that was another thought I had when I was going through that rabbit hole of AJ Green, Auden Tate requesting trades and all that stuff we talked about earlier. You mentioned this and when we were talking about the Ravens there is a major separation issue from the Bengals wide receivers from opposing defensive backs whether that is play calling whether that is a lack of speed or what have you sometimes a player taking games off or getting benched can work totally negatively or totally positively depending on the person's psyche and how they decide to bounce back from that John Ross now has it been three games in a row he's been a healthy scratch at least two I know that so is this the week that you think, let's just try and stretch the field. Let's get somebody to at least command attention. Maybe that's the key. If AJ green does end up coming back and playing, maybe then a little more attention to the speed guy opens things up for AJ green. I don't know, but like you said, I think it's time to try something. Yeah. Anything other than what they've been doing would help. I, you know, like they're, they're pigeonholing Higgins, into that role right now. And yeah. unfortunately there's, there's just been zero chemistry on those deep balls. I think the, the one that they tried this past week, it was, it was a post route over the middle of, I think play action and Burrow tried to throw him uh, vertically when Higgins was trying to go more towards over the middle of the field. And Jimmy Smith just locked him up and it was just an overthrow. And I think the very next play, um, it, it was either like a failed third down or, or a, a disaster sack of some sort. So like, th- like they're trying to get Higgins involved there, but I mean, Jimmy Smith and and um, Marlon Humphrey and those cornerbacks, like they do a good job of locking those guys up vertically. Um, again, the Colts don't really have a weakness on defense right now. They're as good as defending the pass as they are defending the run. So it's it's going to be another big test for this offense to kind of open things up in terms of just how the how that they win though. Like I, I think that that they need to have Philip Rivers have a bad game. They need that same defensive performance that we saw last week to keep this game close. I think whatever the over-under is right now, I would probably take the under because I don't trust either offense to move the ball consistently against these against these two defenses. But in, in terms of the offenses, like the Colts have the obvious advantage at offensive line, especially going up against a battered and, and beaten down Bengals defensive line. So there's a chance that the Colts just kind of steamroll their way to like a close victory. But it, like to capitalize on any mistakes that Phillip Rivers gives to this defense, that's, that's going to be the key to help out their offense as much as possible. How big of a factor do you think that the running game will be given Rivers issues, given the depleted, you know, no DJ Reader, no Sam Hubbard, uh, some issues on the Bengals defense in terms of injury. And they've given up basically, I think it's over a hundred yards per game in every game, except the Jaguars win. Right. So a hundred yards rushing. That is how, how big of a factor do you think that is? And how big of a factor do you think Jonathan Taylor is this week? He's averaging four yards per carry and three touchdowns through five games so far. He's one of the guys that a lot of people were hot on football, but I don't know. Is that, do we expect kind of a boring approach from the Indianapolis Colts? And like you said, kind of grind out the clock, or do you think that this is going to maybe be a little bit of a shootout between rivers and burrow? If it's a shootout, it might be an ugly one. You know, like I, I feel like if, if I'm, if I'm the Colts, that, that would be probably my plan. If I can get away 
just running the ball 30 times and just having marginal success enough to sustain drives and get two or three touchdowns, that would probably be the best chance because, you know, the, the Bengals' run defense is more suspect than their pass defense right now, especially with all those bodies out. They're going to have Andrew Brown and, and Xavier Williams and play significant snaps and try to rotate with Atkins and Covington. Atkins is going up all day against Quinn Nelson, and unfortunately at this point in their careers, I'm taking Nelson nine times out of, out of ten, nine reps out of ten. Right. And like it's up to those linebackers to close down and, and be the spill players, be the guys to force force the runs back inside. Taylor is a talented running back and he, he's a guy that can get yards after contact. So like when they do pass the ball, like they have to take advantage of any inaccurate pass that Philip Rivers throws or any time that he tries to be the, the hero ball player that he is. So like, again, Glowinski, Nelson Kelly, one of the best interior trio blockers that they have. Going up against a battered defensive line for the Bengals, it could be a matchup that they just exploit all game. What, and that's my fear, by the way. Um, that is probably my biggest fear in this game where it's just, you know, they get steamrolled in the run game where you're just like, uh, it's just kind of one of those statement game type of things. I, I hope that's not the case. What do the Bengals need to do? I mean, from, from a big picture standpoint, we can say, well, they need to block better and they need to, you know, what what are some of the, the kind of finer points this week where they – maybe can get a win or at least make this a respectable game and something where they can say, you know what, we'll, let, let, we'll put a feather in our cap on this when we played pretty well this week. I guess to, re- to reiterate, like I, th- I think turnovers w- w- will be key in terms of the Bengals forcing them and giving the offense uh, easier field position. Like if they have to go 10 or 12 times to go seven yards down the field against this defense, I don't have a lot of confidence that they're, they're going to get enough points on the board against the Colts offense. But I mean, just showing any sign and any signs of progress from last week on the offensive side, like just offensive lines handling basic stunts like they did against the Jaguars, but much better to just do it a little bit better than what they did against the Ravens. That, that would be fantastic. You know, like I don't have a lot of confidence in the running game ever getting going unless there's a clear talent disparity. Like we saw against the Jaguars, you know, if the, if the opposition has the bodies to stop the run and the Colts definitely do, it's just like Joe Mixon's just dead on arrival unless he gets involved in the screen game. But unfortunately, the screen game for the Bengals has been their worst enemy. Like they can't run a successful screen to save their lives. So it's just not a lot of hope in terms of the running game carrying Burrow and the passing game unless there's a clear ma- a matchup advantage on their side. And they don't have that in this game. So it's it's going to come down to, to Burrow connecting with his receivers against a very talented and cohesive secondary. And if they end up you know converting on some of these big plays that they haven't, then they have a chance to actually get some points on some long drives. I've got two, and I guess they're sort of big picture, but also kind of finer points a little bit. On, on defense, I think when those opportunities arise, like you mentioned to the turnovers, when those opportunities arise, the Bengals can't survive games when they have opportunities to get three, four interceptions and only corral one. You, you can't you can't continue to do that. So if and when those opportunities arise, you have to make that play. You have to make that play. And, of course, on offense, if they do make that play, they have to respond with points. But also, John, to me on offense, they need to they need to be. They need to gain more positive yardage, even if it's three yards, four yards, what have you, on first and second down. Because they, by the time they get to third down, it's third and seven, third and 14, because a sack has occurred, a disastrous run has occurred, a penalty has occurred, and all of a sudden it's like, okay, what's Joe Burrow, rookie quarterback, supposed to do behind a poor offensive line and it's third and 11, right? So uh, you have to find ways to get at least minimally positive yardage where you know, instead of losing four yards on first down, you you get three or four, and that's an eight-yard swing, right? So th- that's, to me, I think the early downs and winning some of those on, on the Bengals' offense. And that really also drives confidence. You know, you're kind of like, hey, you know, we're not we're not moving backwards all the time. We're, we're actually kind of getting, even if it is three yards in a cloud of dust or what have you, I think it breeds a little confidence there. So those are those are a couple of mine. Yeah, and, and and I just did some research to, to go off of that point. Like the Bengals have had thirty-four plays of on third down where they need seven or more yards. There's, oh only, my been, God. there's only been two teams that have more than that, the Eagles and the Giants. So not not great company that you want to be in. And the average yardage that they need to gain on those plays is twelve point one. And that oh. ranks, I think, bottom five. So yeah, they've not they've not been putting themselves in great positions on third down, but unfortunately, like they're I think the third lowest they have the third lowest pass rate on second and long. So they've been trying so they've been trying to run the ball a lot in those situations 
and the running game has just not done them any favors. So at a certain point, you just got to say, just, just pass it. Like the best teams, the most efficient offenses, they pass on second and long because at the end of the day, if it's an incompletion, it's, it's just a third and seven instead of, because when you're running the ball on, on second and long and you're, and you're losing like on average, like two yards a game on those plays, like it just, it, 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 it makes you even more dead than you already were in the first place. So like they, they need to just, yeah, you're right. Find a way to generate at least easier yardage, even if it's not a first down on on some of those passing plays. Give yourself a chance to at least get yourself in a more manageable situation. Yeah, and if the Bengals are able to move the ball through the air early and effectively, defense starts to move back a little bit, then you can utilize the run a little. There's a little more running room all of a sudden, so you can use the pass to set up the run. I know we've talked about that a lot on this program and uh, – on the website before on cincyjungle.com. Let's call our shot, make some predictions if you want, and then we'll drop the mic and get out of here. Uh, if you want to do a score prediction or if you think something wacky happens in this one, John, what do you think? Um, I, I feel like the, the line has dropped from what it was like, what was it like 10 at the beginning? Now it's like a little bit like a nine and a half or something. And it may even drop a little bit more because this is just two bad offenses right now going up against two pretty good defenses. So it's not going to be a lot of high powered plays and a lot of scoring. Um, I, I think that we will see either Jesse Bates or Sean Sims or one of those guys. They not only get an interception on Phillip Rivers, but they return it actually. Like they've had like four interceptions this year and only one of them has had actually any return yards. It's mostly been the guys like just getting in and falling down immediately because you know, they, they catch it off balance and they have no nowhere to run. So there's going to be an interception on Philip Rivers and there's going to be actual return yardage to get the offense in some type of manageable scoring range. And that could be the score that makes the difference in terms of them winning or at least this time losing close. I think that was the only interception where they netted positive yards on a return. Was that the William Jackson one against Cleveland? That's yes. the only one I can remember. Moving and, that was, and that was knocked out by a penalty by Cleveland. <laughs> right. I was going to follow it up with that one. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I'm going to say whether or not it results in a win, I don't know. But I think the Bengals bounce back in a huge way on offense. I think a pissed off Joe Burrow from last week is going and you know, he's a perfectionist. He's a guy who watches film. He's a he's a smart guy. He's a smart quarterback. I'd like to think that he will learn from a lot of things last week, both of his own mistakes and from players around him. So I think the Bengals put up 30-plus this week, so at, at least 27 more points than they put up the week prior against a good Indianapolis defense. I'll go bold with that. I don't know if that leads to a win. I have the Bengals actually losing this game. I think I had them uh, 31. I, I, some predictions I had were about 31-24 or so um, or or something in that range. But uh, I think the Bengals put up a lot of points this week and we will have a much more – enjoyable brand of football to watch that's my shot to call this week we're five weeks into this and even though they're, they're one three and one we're still pretty optimistic in some of these things i don't i don't know when this is going to change for us <laughs> yeah i know maybe maybe down this rough gauntlet of the middle of the schedule they've got here we may change our tune here um so we'll see but good stuff john uh let's drop the mic and get on out of here you got anything for us a shout out any anything you want to leave us with not necessarily no um like nah nah i'm good <laughs> <laughs> i i've shouted him out before i when i don't do a lot of uh shout outs but i shouted him out on another show this week uh he tags us and me and cincy jungle and a lot of his stuff his name is um, Dalton and he does a lot of cool stuff on Twitter. He's at Dalton signature. Um, he does a lot. He's a, like a freelance graphic designer. So he does a lot of stuff. Uh, he's a big Bengals fan. I actually met him in Seattle, um, last year, John in week one out. Very nice guy. And he does a lot of cool stuff with Bengals graphics. Um, he does like even stuff like injury reports and all that kind of stuff. He is a guy, uh, go, go follow him on Twitter at Dalton signature. If you're, if you're a Bengals fan that wants, computer wallpaper or laptop wallpaper or graphics that you want to use. He does really cool stuff and, and quality work. So um, I want to shout him out. He always, he always seems to tag us 
Cincy Jungle, me, uh, on some really cool work. So uh, I, I want to make sure he gets some recognition. And, you know, maybe if someone's in need of some freelance graphic design work, maybe you can give him a shout and give him some work. That would be yeah. good. Yeah, I, I like the stuff that he does. And I, you know what? I, I forgot who I, who I was going to shout out. I do like the work that Ian Rappaport does. And unfortunately, he's suspended right now from NFL activity because of uh, some misunderstanding on Instagram. He was he was basically plugging and promoting the Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0. And as it happens... Uh-oh. Uh-oh. This is this is this is bad podcast radio because they can't see, but I actually ordered the thing like a couple oh, days before no. Rappaport <laughs> got suspended. So oh, Ian, no. I stand with you, and so does my um my region down there. <laughs> oh, the man, the manscaper. Oh uh, yeah. So how long's how long's he suspended for for this thing? Is- I have no idea. Like I, I I think it happened late last week. And the only thing I can like equate this to is like uh, Adrian Wojnarowski, the, the basketball insider. He essentially sent like a pissed off email at like a congressman, and he got suspended for like a week. But like for everything that's been happening in the NFL, I, I just imagine Rappaport is just like like sitting there like fuming because he yeah, can't say anything. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, Adam Adam Schefter uh, is the go to guy, I guess, right now, and so is Mortensen for for some of that stuff, but. Um, good stuff, John. Thanks. And I'm seeing some stuff about listener questions and stuff. Um, we're going to, as of now, we are planning to do listener questions this Friday. We, we skipped last week, but I think we're going to try and get around to it this week. So join us. It'll probably be in the early afternoon and we'll let you know about times. And so you got to subscribe, you got to subscribe to our channels to get notified right away. It'll probably be early afternoon, Eastern time. So join us for listener questions live. There are a lot of different ways to submit questions to us. If you want to do that, um, you can call or text us 949-542-6241 at, uh, on the, on the line there. You can email us the OB insider at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at Bengals OBI, or if you join us for the live recording of it, you can leave those in a number of different live chats that we've got going. So, um, Hopefully you'll join us for that. We've got the pregame show on Sunday, courtesy of Narragansett Beer. John, Matt, and I have been having some fun with that. So join us for that if you are able up to Bengals kickoff. And we hope to see you then. For John Sheeran, I'm Anthony Cazenza. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Orange and Black Insider. We'll see you soon.